0: And nineteen, and this is our first show this year. January is a very special month for us, and this year, it's our third anniversary of the project, and it's also the third Lil broadcast that we're doing as well. So, I wanted to do something a bit more special, and chose a couple of uh, three-minute tracks, sort of pop radio tracks, that I wanted to play to. Now, those are not hits that you would have heard on any other radios, but just music mainly from the 80s that was lost, that had a potential to be a pop hit, in my opinion. And Here's a collection of tracks by Degrees of Freedom in this room, which you've just heard. The Press, VOK, Communication, League of Nations, Staino, The Front, Family of God, and many more to come. This is definitely a track that I would listen to and probably hope that it reaches any sort of top tens on the commercial radio charts. This is VOK with Nukes of Terror released on uh, a compilation in 1985 and to be honest from my understanding there's not much more that these guys have done but also I couldn't find any more information on the authors and the musicians of this. It's definitely a catchy track that I've loved for some time and really wanted to play it to This track actually holds a very special place in my heart and this is Communication and the track is called The Door. Now this is a part of of an album written uh, by Jesper Ranham in collaboration with Scatterbrain for a musical uh, that ran for about a week in Copenhagen in 1982. Apparently the musical itself was not very successful but Uh, It was forward-thinking in a way that they used still projections and uh, video technology and they played live electronic music during it, it's just apparently the screenplay uh, got very mixed reviews so it didn't last. But there's not much more information about the musical itself, but we do get to enjoy the soundtrack of it. and Paintings by Berenic, released in 1981 and I believe this has been reissued by Dark Entries in the past few years. If you're looking for the entire tracklist, uh, visit the lil.live page afterwards and there's going to be a full track listing of this hour. In terms of the next hour to celebrate our anniversary, I didn't think there was a better person to ask to come than Emotional Rescues, Emotional Special, Emotional Response and and record label owner Stuart Leith. He's gonna take us through his musical influences in the second hour so stay tuned for that. Fields and this was The Front with a track called Polaroid and the next one I wanted to play holds a very special place and it's actually a track that is the only one that's been released in uh, the year 2000 and not the 80s but the first time I've actually heard it I couldn't say that that was the case and it's called Frog by a band called Family of God a very underrated and not very well known band that I like very much.
1: It's got a rock that symmetry for you, for you, an Just look around and you will see.
2: ordeal, and who by common trial? Who in your merry merry months of May? Who by very slow decay? And who shall I say is calling? And who in her lonely sleep? Who by
0: As a single, a track by Nell Sienstad called Moondog is what has been playing for the past few minutes now, and I absolutely love it. And the next one is Misumihara with a track name I cannot pronounce unfortunately because I don't read Japanese. While well, this hour of catchy pop or pop-that-never-happened kind of music is uh, coming to a close, uh, I wanted to remind you that in about 12 minutes or so, Stuart Leith is going to be coming and talking about his influences in the show, so I'd really like to have you on for that as well. You're making- Joining us for the second hour of our three year celebration of Parabox is Stuart Leith, the head of uh, all of your well-known emotional labels and he's gonna talk to us about some of the influences that he had and play some of them. Could you tell us a bit more about what you brought today?
3: What I have bought is just records or genres that have influenced me and just some records from those genres rather than sort of like some uber trendy or uber cool record. It's literally just records from that period of certain periods of time in my life that were influences. song is definitely not uh, some obscure Larry Levan dub. It was actually one of the first three records I bought. Um, in 1977, age seven, I was living in upstate New York and my father joined a vinyl record club at the time um, and I got to choose three records. One was Heatwave, Central Heating that that came from. Uh, another one was Kiss. Love Gun, which actually notably came out on Casablanca. I didn't I didn't know that until I looked it up for this. And the other one was John Williams doing the Star Wars theme, which obviously came out in 1977 and I'd just seen before I moved over to America. I sort of think those choices are really indicative of the fact I had an older brother and, and an older sister and my sister was into disco I mean 1977 America she was a few years older she sort of got swept along with it. My, my brother was really into rock, ACDC etc so sort of like, Central Heating, Heat Wave was her and Kiss was him and definitely Star Wars was a seven-year-old kid, me, basically. But um, yeah, anyway, so I think it was a good way of sort of linking in of Disco having a, a big impression on me, you know, as a, a white kid born in Newcastle, but then spent those early years in America. This culture of the late 70s and early 80s really seeped into me and uh, I sort of didn't really understand the music, you know, I couldn't really get the juxtaposition or the links between, you know, all these different genres of music and that's sort of part of being in your teens, but it was really with the house explosion um, of 88 to sort of 92 that I slowly sort of got involved in. You know, I spent so much time on the dance floor listening to records, sort of disseminating them. From that, I wanted to go back, really. Um, it was the samples, things like Go Bang, et cetera. I was wanting to go back and see where those samples came from. And I think that's where my love for disco was fully formed. sound of 1981 to 83 for me, uh, 11 to my early teens. And it's sort of getting immersed into rock and pop and the culture um, back in England at the time. And yeah, the music of Bowie and then from that, the first understandings of Brian Eno. I would literally sit in my best friend's bedroom after school and we'd work our way through Bowie's catalogue, you know hunky dory through to uh, the later albums like let's dance and then from that you know we sort of discovered the the three berlin albums so although that song is like a sort of best of bowie it is actually taken from the low album and uh, to me that it really is the sound of cold bike rides on the way home from school sweets, and uh, being too scared to talk to girls at the school disco yeah we'd sort of like go over the lyrics or I'd go over the lyrics at home of so much you know music as well as listening to contemporary bands such as you know like Yuzu, Depeche Mode, Human League, it's you know it's just such a fundamental part of your life I think when you're sort of going through those years and you're not sort of really understanding who you are. where i first heard craft work and you know people like say i can remember recording shaka khan i feel for you onto a cassette and like listening to all these different versions and trying to understand and disseminate the music so sort of early electro etc and then you know in a way when house music did come along from listening to those versions and all these artists it it all seemed to fit into place After rock was psychedelic The first ever single I bought Was Another Brick in the Wall By Pink Floyd um, When it was released in 1979 And it was on the wall, the Wall album um, I'm not actually a huge fan of that album Due to its um, morose nature But the actual song stays with really, me Because I thought it was really part of a typically British thing of even as young people we were showing sort of through our buying records what we thought of society and culture and in a way another brick in the wall does sort of have a post-punk feel to it. During the golden years of pop uh, chartdom there were so many instances of culture coming through via chart success that was really compelling to be a part of. You know, there was only three TV channels, so we would all be glued watching Top of the Pops and everyone would know what was going on. But we were also, you know, a lot of us listening to, say, John Peel and um, Whistle Test, watching Whistle Test. And, you know, I still really love the fact that Laurie Anson's Oh Superman was a hit. I don't think many people would realize that, you know, such as crazy record could make it anyway so yeah Floyd uh, who I've included um, what I love is their early psychedelic output Um, the impact in my late teens was pretty profound maybe mixed with the first inklings of smoking uh, other substances you know I mean I could have picked all sorts of psychedelic music from you know west coast experience etc 13th floor elevator but uh, you know the doors Jefferson Airplane but I chose Floyd because it's quintessentially English in a way and um, and those albums were hugely influential. Easy to cite Public Image Limited as one of the defining post-punk bands but their music really has stood the test of time. The interest in in what Johnny Lydon would do next was huge but I was a bit too young to pay attention to it. What the Sex Pistols were doing because I was living overseas the whole time of the band's existence. However, I caught the end of it and while I loved the other music genres that were really coming out at that time such as the ska revival, new romantics, goth, etc. My main interest was in the sort of The angst and and the energy of post-punk with bands like Killing Joke, but specifically it was Pill. Um, Having an older brother, as I mentioned, that led me to watching um, the old Grey Whistle Test, and then uh, a few years later when it came again, the Whistle Test, and from that um, I saw Pill uh, appear. Um, And then I would see sort of the definitive metal box in record stores as a teenager and would want to check it out and managed to pick up a copy some years later. This song, actually, I find really transformative. The way that the music melds with Lydon's lyrics, uh, just the whole album really caught me. From this record, I really started to examine the idea of dub. And from that, that led me to King Tubby and uh, Lee Perry, and eventually to Keith Hudson.
2: straw, sneak a hole, words that build or destroy, dirt dry bones, sand and stone. Barbed wife fence, cut me down, I'd like to be around,
4: in a spiral staircase, to the
3: Unforgettable Fire by U2 might seem a strange choice but it linked me from rock to being introduced to ambient music. This was beginning of their move away from post-punk rough rock towards the stadium sound that they became famous. But it was also the first recordings they did with Brian Eno. I was aware of Eno from Roxy Music and as I mentioned earlier Bowie but when this album The Unforgettable Fire appeared the textures and atmospherics instilled in, um, in the band I wanted to start checking out, you know, his solo work. So my first exposure to him was going down to my local library, Chichester Library, and taking out a copy of My Life in the Bush of Ghosts, which at 15 years old I could not fathom at all its, it's sample-based uh, madness, but is now obviously, you know, like one of my favourites. But I did fall in love instantly with Apollo and also with the ambient series. That sort of led me on to reading about and checking out the music by Kale, Lamont Young and um, Riley, and uh, I, you know, I slowly have collected these albums over the years, but it's his early work with U2 that first grabbed me, and um, the songs that we played particularly, which is Promenade and The Fourth of July, I know Bono's voice and lyrics are a bone of contention for many, but on Promenade, these lyrics are abstract, in a way that's why I chose it, and I can just remember listening to that song and... The the nature of it, uh, you know, I could see this was Eno more than it was U2 in a way, and you can definitely hear that on on, uh, the, the second track, The Fourth of July. I mean, if you listen to The Fourth of July and then play it next to the Apollo album, it actually sounds like an outtake. I chose this because it's a nice link with minimalism, fusion, and also there is a link with the post-Acid House scene. I first saw Steve Reich's name appear tucked away in reviews of bands I liked in publications such as The Enemy, and then I heard a bit about him when I started playing ambient music in the late 80s, but I didn't really buy his first album until well into my 20s. At the same time, this is a great introduction to the music of Pat Metheny. If you'd told my younger self that I would listen to and collect fusion or jazz fusion, such as Messini, I would have thought you were crazy. But uh, that is the amazing thing about this music. Both Reich and Mathini's music have had a huge influence on me. The ethereal nature of getting lost in either the repetitive nature of Reich's music for 18 musicians or, say, the um, the beauty of my favourite Mathini album, which is often overlooked, which is the Travels album, which is the live album. It's because... To me, it just shows the links that this music can have. Anyway, Electric Counterpoint is a good one. It's like a dream scenario, really, where two greats come together and they made something great as well. And also, it's got a nice link, as I say, with Acid House because it was the main sample uh, used by The Orb in probably their most famous song, um, Little Fluffy Cloud. of course thousands of household techno records I could choose, however I chose Time Marches On because it has that melancholy that runs through so much of the music that I like. Uh, Marshall Jefferson is at his peak 1987 tracks records. You can hear the influences in there so clearly, the funk and disco in the bass line and then that European flavour in the lyrics, mix say with New Order or MBO with a soulful backing melody. After going to some house parties in Brighton in 1988, I sort of skipped in and out of Acid House, to be honest, the big frenzy going on uh, as I went up north to go to university. But by the time I'd moved back south and straight to London in the early 90s, it was a driving force in my life. So many nights, so many clubs, discovering the music and meeting friends along the way. And really it's house music that is the reason for my steady, sporadic and amateur collecting becoming something more serious. And it's the reason why I'm sitting here today.
5: Mm. Mm. Staggers, staggers. Don't think about me I'm alright I'm alright I'm alright Time you take to check me Check yourself Cause I'm alright I'm alright Alright This nasty alright I'm alright, I'm alright I'm alright, I'm alright right. This nasty alright The one who keep at his mouth, keep at his line But I'm no fool, this might be alright I'm alright, I'm alright, I'm alright right. You don't have to think about me I'm all
3: right. yeah so um i mentioned earlier keith hudson and uh reggae dub reggae as such but i'm not going to really say too much about it but for me i actually always say that marley is a, a messiah because i think that what he's saying is in a way is that but also you know there's so much reggae and dub it's quite phenomenal to have come out of one small island but I sort of really started getting into this music in my late teens, early 20s alongside House and you know sort of the drug culture that goes with it and the chilling out that goes with it. But for me you know most people would say oh Tubby and Perry but I actually think these two producers are geniuses in what they created. But there's something so special about Keith Hudson uh, in his lyrics in the way he sings you know that sort of off-singing. And to me when i first heard him i knew in a way that i'd sort of found the one that was going to be the most special to me Discovery of Matheny around the same time, I was beginning to collect my first jazz records. I spent so much of my 20s immersed in the 4-4 of house and techno that these discoveries, alongside the beginnings of div- digging for disco, as I mentioned, they sort of freed my mind. This was my late 20s, so late 90s, I guess. I was clubbing a bit less and looking for new sounds, while at the same time broadening what I wanted to collect and play at home. You know, I started with the classic sort of Coltrane Davis, and I really, really loved Monk. It sort of felt a bit like a rites of passage when you sort of get to Sun Ra, etc. And you let it go and you really love it. But it was really being introduced to Weather Report, which I came across, I think, actually via the early years of the internet, uh, 96, 97. And the first music blogs that were appearing, they sort of came up very quickly. It really seemed like something for another planet. The opening seconds of Nubian Sundance really say more than I can. (laughs) African music in its myriad of forms is fundamental music and can clearly be argued as the basis of all music. I've chosen this song because it comes from the Toured culture of Mali. Like most, I first got into uh, an interest in the continent's music from the likes of Fela Kuti, which I think I first started collecting when I was sort of wandering around Soho in, the, in, the, in my 20s and, uh, when I was first in London. However, 10 years ago, I was lucky enough to go to Timbuktu in Mali for actually for a music festival that was in the Sahara Desert, just north of Timbuktu. Uh, it was such a ex- uh, magical experience that I've spent the time since then collecting the music from that country. Through, say, like the success of bands like Tinariwen, they are known, um, but it's really sort of put a spotlight into the Touareg culture. Uh, The song that was played is actually from a really excellent label called Sublime Frequencies um, from the States. It's also worth mentioning I picked this up from my regular trek to West London to visit the Honest John's store, which to me is a bit of a London institution. In a strange symmetry, the first place I ever lived in London when I moved down was actually above. Honest Johns on Portobello Road. I spent some time there in the summer of 94. The breadth of music they sell and now license and release themselves is really stunning and it taught me so much about music from going there and just digging really and getting them to play me stuff. Then the early compilations like The Light of Sabah or um, London is a Place for me were really a rabbit hole for me to go down. So it was a real pleasure to work with them when I started the Sacred Summits label with Lindsay Todd of Firecracker. No,
4: no, no,
3: Has led me to so many interesting avenues. Digging and collecting music has been a huge influence, as big as finding new music. The choice of Jeanette is from a project that I'm working on right now with a name to release mid next year. Jeanette is a bit of a British uh, anomaly, as so little is known about her, and also the fact that she's completely disappeared. Her music has slowly been rediscovered over the last few years, and um, from working on this, I've actually slowly realized. Uh, how how closely that she worked with the band Furniture, who I am actually reissuing as well. And they've gone through a bit of a reappraisal uh, with collectors and some of their music's become quite sought after. So um, at the moment I'm doing two 12-inch reissues of Furniture's music. And what's interesting about this song is it's basically Jeanette with Furniture together, writing and producing, and you can really hear in terms of the wonderful percussion and production, the link between the two. At the same time, I am as inspired by new music coming out all the time, and I believe I should be. Through emotional response, you know, I've been able to work with some really amazing artists. I've been very fortunate to work with people like Music Cargo, Eddie Rocher's Secret Circuit, his project The Naturals with Tom Bullock, Montezuma's Rache, the Durian Brothers, Black Deer, Sad City, etc. Uh, right up to, say, Roy the Ravers. Um, and that's not even looking a, a special. Anyway, so to end, I've chosen the artist Abel Mogard, who I released on a series called the Schl- Schlassen series, as I call it, a few years ago. I don't think I say it correctly. Schlesen, Schlassen. And um, anyway, so Abul, it was the first bit of um, his music to ever appear on vinyl, and he's gone on to become quite well-known and successful since but the sheer scale and depth of this music while maybe not seeming to change is really quite something. Uh, I felt very fortunate I'm, I'm in a position where I'm able to release music that's 20 minutes long. Really really great song, uh, track I should say. It really sounded quite mesmeric when I played it in a huge silo in Berlin a few years ago. It was really quite indescribable.
0: Thank you very much, Stuart, for sharing our third birthday together with us uh, today and uh, for bringing so much great music for everyone to enjoy.
3: Thank you. I hope it was okay.